0: College campuses are being overwhelmed by liberalism, but there is a wave of bold and compassionate students taking a fearless stand for life. Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. Well, welcome back to another episode of Fearless. I'm Sissy Graham Lynch, and I am very excited for my guests. I guess I say that all the time when I have a guest, because if I wasn't excited, I wouldn't be having them on the podcast. But I have Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life, with me. And I met Kristen—I don't know, Kristen, when was it? Last January. Last January. March for Life. March for Life. Mm -hmm. And if you've been following Fearless for a while, you know that the March for Life— really changed kind of my viewpoint on the pro-life movement. It was very impactful. But what I haven't talked about was the following day after Mm -hmm. March for Life, and that was the Students for Life Summit. Kristen, you want to talk about fearless? She's a fearless woman. She's a mama. She's got four children. Mm -hmm. She has to balance that work life. And I've been so impressed with her and the work that Students for Life does, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, Students for Life, for those who are listening and don't know what it is, share with us um, because I have just been so inspired um, by the work that y'all do. Tell us what Mm. you do. Students for Life, we launched about 15
1: years ago and our mission is to equip this generation to abolish abortion. So we go into high schools, middle schools, college campuses, med and law school campuses, find young pro-life students, uh, get them uh, organized, get them trained, get them equipped, and send them on their way to change their campuses for life and then change their communities and really changing our culture to make abortion illegal at some point as well as unthinkable. Uh, so today we serve, we have the honor of serving over 1,250 chapters in all 50 states. We've uh, this past year, right before the COVID quarantine started, we had trained our 100,000 students. Um, so it's been, it's been an incredible journey to see where uh, the Holy Spirit has led us in the last 15 years and to see that we really are and truly are our, our motto, which is we are the pro-life generation.
0: And okay, so when I went, I remember one of the things that I took away when I went to the March for Life last January, and then I went to the students, I just can't believe how many young people were there. <laughs> That's a common thing I hear. Yeah, because you think like, oh, the culture, mm-hmm. you know, it's, mm-hmm. and when you see like Hollywood or these TV programs that we're seeing, they're such a pro-choice generation. Yeah. But that's not really the case, mm-hmm. is it? So wh- why yeah. young people?
1: I mean that's really the narrative that we hear from the mainstream media and that's what they want you to believe uh, especially if you go to like a college you know orientation fair or something like that but the truth is and polls and studies prove this the majority of young people they don't like abortion they get uneasy when they feel when they hear about abortion or have to discuss the issue of abortion They don't like abortion. Um, And that's because they've seen their brothers and sisters via ultrasound in the womb. The the antiquated talking points don't hold the same weight as they used to. Um, And and that's really was our premise when we started Students for Life was that we aren't alone. That yes, I started a pro-life group in my high school and my college. And many times I felt alone and by myself, or I would have one or two friends who would join me, but I knew there had to be other people out there just like me who wanted to speak up, who learned about the atrocity of abortion and wanted to speak up and to save lives and serve women. Uh, And that's exactly what we set out to do. And I think the Holy Spirit is proving us right, that there is a whole generation of young people who recognize that abortion is a human rights injustice, and it's an injustice that's worthy of their time.
0: So I read on your website mm-hmm. that 79% of Planned Parenthoods are five miles away from colleges mm-hmm. and that 50 per, 52% of abortion-seeking women are under the age of 25. So we see that Planned Parenthood is very strategic mm-hmm. in everything that they do sure. and that the rhetoric of the pro-choice movement is a lot of lies. Yes, yes. And what do, what are, first off, what are some of those lies that this younger generation is hearing? Mm. And then how is Students for Life being strategic to think to fight back? Because we see the left, the left is always strategic and everything. And (laughs) sometimes it feels like conservatives react. or Yeah, we're reacting. We're always about 10 steps behind. Mm, Yeah. No, I mean— Planned Parenthood has a
1: predatory business model. It, it's, it's very clear. Their goal is to build a relationship with your children as early as possible, high, high school, middle school, and if they can, some states will let them, elementary school. And they want to build a relationship with children uh, because they realize every single time that woman or that man walks in their doors, they will make money off of their visit. So whether it's for an STD test, STD treatment, which by the way, they only treat about 18% of STDs. They diagnose a little known fact. Uh, you know Whether it's for a pregnancy test or abortion, they make money. And so the earlier uh, a young person starts having sex, the more money they will make. It is, a, it is a predatory cycle. And so they are very, very strategic. And one of the things that we noticed um, and why we launched Students for Life full-time, and I remember when we first launched Students for Life a lot, folks would ask me, well, what part, what organization are you part of? Who's paying your bills? Um, and I would say, well, we're our own organization. You need to write a check. You know, we, we, we have our own supporters. And the reason we had, and we felt the need to launch this separate entity from the very, there's tons of pro-life groups, which, Sometimes people say it's negative. I actually think that's a positive. But um, the reason we needed a, a separate entity was because we had to focus a hundred percent with young people. Um, in the when I was growing up, when I started a pro life group in my high school and college, there were several entities uh, who would have a you know a pro life youth outreach. But you know when budget cuts. Time came. Um, that that was always the thing that kind of got caught. It was kind of like the little side project. But, but really, this is where they're targeting. This is where abortions are happening. This is where we should be investing our time and money. And it's not as... Um, Sexy, I guess you can say, as like a political fight where there's like a, there's a determined end at the end of the political season. Um, it's not something that's going to end you, you know, get you on nightly news. Be like, wow, I built up relationships with 15 leaders this week on college campuses and took them all out to coffee and pizza. Um, but it, that's the critical work. That's the grassroots work that needs to be done. So when you go to the March for Life and you see overwhelmingly in the sea of hundreds of thousands that is an under 20 years old of age, and we actually, Actually need you because you are the target age uh, of Planned Parenthood's demographic, and your voice matters so much because you can talk to your peers in a way that others can't.
0: Yeah, and Kristen is actually being humble because I have turned on the nightly news before, Kristen, and I have seen you <laughs> on the nightly news with your students right behind you Just advocating. like how I've seen you on the news.
1: I had no idea you were speaking at the RNC convention. I was like, I was like, look, I know her. That's Sissy. Look, she's my friend. Good. that's what I, think I do for Kristen. Me. You
0: know, so, and that's what, it's been really awesome to see. You talked about how there are so many different entities mm-hmm. for the pro-life movement. I, it is, that is strength. There's strength in numbers mm-hmm. and to Absolutely. be united. And I think in the last couple of years, We have seen these pro-life organizations, such as Students for Life, the March for Life, um, Live Action, all of these have come together and been on the same ground and Mm -hmm. united in the fight together. It's not like, I'm out here doing this or you're doing Mm -hmm. this. And for the Trump administration, that gave us a little bit of kind of fuel and I went beneath the wings of like um, to make some advancements Mm -hmm. and to make some great movements and to be united on the front. And um, we'll get into that in a moment. But you were— I want to go back to why it's also so important. When I was at the summit last year, the Students for Life mm-hmm. Summit, I was just so excited. I would ask kids, like, why are you here? I, I was just like interviewing these kids as I was walking through the hallway, like, how did you get here? Who sent you here? And that's <laughs> very interesting. And for those who are listening, if you're a pastor or a youth pastor or you got a, a school, it is so important that you're listening to this to get the kids mm-hmm. involved. Because what happens is, it's a an event like this or an organization like Students for Life that prepare kids for the world, Mm -hmm. to know what they believe, why they believe it. And Kristen is out there. She's a huge believer in teaching them to have this conversation in a secular world. mm -hmm. Because we have talked about that here on Fearless before. The world is coming after our children. They want the heart and souls of our children and Mm -hmm. our generation. And we better be able to prepare them for the conversations they're gonna have on these campuses. And that's what they do um, at that summit. And I we pray that in um, next year we can get it back in it, person. It'll be back, it'll be in Washington, D.C. I just signed the contract. Awesome, <laughs> that's good news. Because I was just so impressed because it wasn't just this pro-life, pro-life, pro-life. You were teaching some of the basics, y'all were teaching the science, mm-hmm. you were teaching the conversations how to have with mm-hmm. people and if you have children, um, college, high school, even middle school, right? Mm-hmm. We had adults last year too. We had over
1: 500 adults. We I was had, one of the adults. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think <laughs> the adults sometimes get more out of
1: it than the students.
0: <laughs> I, I learned quite a bit. I loved it. So, And we'll um, I'll post about that in the show mm-hmm. notes of how you can find out more. But the pro-life movement is done on two fronts. It's two battles. We have a policy and on the political side of laws and policies. And then we have the cultural front. Mm. Both are huge battles, and maybe right now the cultural seems the biggest battle. Mm-hmm. How are students for life involved in both of them? Yeah,
1: I mean, what what we are doing on campuses and finding these young leaders and training them up—that's very much on the cultural side. In fact, you know, I would say ninety-five percent of our time and our and the money that's donated to students for life goes to fighting it on the cultural side because we are firm believers that culture shape. Policy, and um, you know, until those guys, those elected leaders uh, in Congress, feel that they'll be held accountable for their extremist positions, uh, they're not going to change their votes. Right? They're going to continue to vote who, to whoever is going to help them stay in office. Because that's at the end of the day, for most politicians, uh, there are a select few that aren't like this, but most of them, uh, I have a pretty single view of politicians. I spent too much time in Washington, D.C., but their job is to get reelected. And so we have to change the culture and we have to surprise them. In fact, we do surprise them. We go on Capitol Hill and we lobby and we walk into their offices and they all think we're with Planned Parenthood. And they're like, wait minute, wait, wait, what? You're you're a pro-lifer. So I'm like no, because of your age. Because of our age. Because they say they never see anybody on Capitol Hill who's young who isn't liberal, and so it's just very countercultural thing. But we're on campuses, you know, changing the actual campus dynamic of starting to have conversations, of having the uncomfortable conversation about what abortion is on a campus and challenging students to think. And and that's so important because these are the kids who are, for the first time, thinking on their own. And their worldview, uh, if they've come into college with a Christian worldview, it's being shaken, it's being tested every single day. Um, And so we're going to challenge them to think about what abortion is. But we're also going to do something a little bit more on campus beyond just talk we're going to put those words into action of how do we transform the campus itself to be more supportive to pregnant and parenting students this has been a huge challenge particularly on our christian campuses of how do we as christians uh, help women who become pregnant on campus and make her feel that she's welcome that she doesn't have to leave campus or she doesn't run into the abortion facility because she wants to hide that the the fact that she she became pregnant Um, and so that's that's If you ask our Students for Life groups what they do on campus, those will be the two things. They'll say, we talk about abortion, we change minds about abortion, and we also help women know that they don't have to choose between the life of their child and their education. Uh, And then on the the community front, we're we're getting involved And this year, particularly we're launching an initiative called Pro-Life Future Campaign of getting our Students for Life groups into the churches and challenging the churches to join us for local events. We're going to start actually door knocking uh, and educate community members Members about what the local abortion facility down the street is doing, the lawsuits against the abortion facility, and then educate community members about the pregnancy alternatives that are out there. I think to me, you know, if someone gave Kristen Hawkins a check for a billion dollars, and I'm in Naples, Florida, it could be possible. I could walk and find that person. Give me a check for a billion dollars in abortion, uh, about 900 million of it I would put into one thing, and that is advertising. We have thousands of pregnancy centers across the country, maternity homes, community organizations that if a woman walks into their doors and says, I'm considering abortion, I'm scared, I'm in a, you know, a vulnerable relationship, um, I don't have means to take care of my my two-year-old, and how am I going to take care of an infant? We have community organizations in every community that would bend over backwards, that would do anything possible for her but she doesn't know that they exist. In fact, we just did some polling on Students for Life of 18 to 34-year-olds. They don't know these resources exist. And they don't even know that there's federally you know, protected rights that pregnant and parenting students have. Um, and this is a problem. We need to talk about what it is. Not that, you know, I'm a firm believer in talking about what abortion is and saying we are proud to be anti-abortion, just like I'm proud to be anti-sex trafficking, anti-smoking, anti-smoking, um, And I'm proud to be anti-abortion because abortion always destroys an innocent human life. But I'm also proud to be pro-life and to say we're protecting these moms and we're coming alongside them and we're serving them. And I think that, to me, as we look forward as to how we change our culture in midst of all the terrible things that are happening in Washington, D.C., we know we can save lives and it starts in our communities and it's taking the resources that are already there and make them known. And maybe we have to add or make them more robust or be more sophisticated in our geofencing of campuses when we're you know doing running our digital ads. But those resources are there and we have to connect her to them because we know, and we're right across the street right now from a Planned Parenthood, no woman walks into that Planned Parenthood excited to have an abortion. No woman wants
0: to have the abortion. And I think, first all, for those who are listening, Krista makes a great point. Those resources are there they could use your help mm. with advertising locally and nationally. So mm-hmm. I just encourage you as you're listening to be praying, you know, not everybody can be out knocking on doors and not everybody <laughs> can be up on Capitol Hill, but there is a place for everybody in this movement. Absolutely. And that was the conviction for me, that I thought this was kind of a movement. It wasn't just my calling. It was mm-hmm. for other ladies like uh, definitely pro life and would vote pro life but i was just more passionate about other things and when i mm. last year i was just shaken up after leaving that like man how dare i not think that that's not a calling for all of us mm. that a genocide is help you know is on mm. our hands right now and if this was happening physically in front of us we would definitely step up so she makes a good point that those resources are there and they need to be known. So that might be a good way for those who are listening to get involved Mm -hmm. locally and just help those resources known. But um, you're talking about door knocking and they are out there, they're making physical phone calls and door knocking. She's got an army of young kids (laughs) at her beck and call, but the election, of course, didn't go the way conservatives were hoping for. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, under the Trump administration, we just made such great headway on a lot of policies. We've never had a president like that that came and spoke at March for Life. He was told by many not to go, even a secret service, but he goes, no, I'm going. Uh, Pence had been at the March for Life and it was just the policies that were being made. I know for y'all that have been in this um, industry, for the lack of a better Mm -hmm. word, um, I'm sure it was just like, wow, finally, finally, somebody's fighting along with us, um, keeping promises. And I'm sure... Um, Like for all of us, after this last election, it was a huge letdown. Mm. And for those, for you, especially fighting and these kids that are out Mm. there to get discouraged, how do you keep, what is your message to these, Mm. um, you know, just young advocates, fierce advocates that could be easily discouraged? Like, you know what, after all this work (laughs) we've done, why does it matter? Mm. How do you keep them motivated?
1: They actually motivate me because, I mean, I, I was telling my husband after the election, you know, I really wish I didn't know about abortion. I really wish that you know Donald Trump losing re-election just meant that my 401k was going to go down and I was going to pay more taxes. I wish that, that that's all politics was to me. There are children who are walking this earth, little toddlers now, who are walking on this earth because of the policies of Donald Trump. Love him or hate him. Love or hear his tweets that is a fact that lives were saved and that's why i'm upset and just, you know discouraged by the election results it's not just simple oh you know my team didn't win type of thing or i'm going to have to pay more money in taxes and my you know family's finances will be hurt we're talking about precious human beings little babies um but i think for me what gives me hope is i think about The Obama years and the eight years of of Barack Obama, who at the time was the most extreme abortion president we ever had, but Joe Biden apparently going to to compete with him on that front. But um, we saw a resurgence in the grassroots. If you look at the number of Students for Life chapters, uh, if you look at the number of supporters of pro-life causes and pregnancy centers across the country, if you look at the number of pro-life laws that were introduced and passed in state houses across America, you saw a dramatic increase during those eight years. Why? Because people realize, Christians uh, realize, I can't rely on the person I elected in Washington, D.C. to do my job for me. That if I really, truly believe that every single abortion ends a beating heart, I need to go out and act like it. And so I I think that's one of the things that gives me hope. You know, instantly we saw we were in Georgia after the election door knocking in the middle of January, for the uh, runoff elections, and we had 200 kids. Originally, I said, we can pay for 100 kids to come, and then we had all these kids apply, so I was like, fine, we'll do 200 kids, and then we ended up having to turn away some kids Eating anyway.
0: pizza but, to all yeah, of them. Yes, she sent me yes. pictures.
1: No, it was bad. We maxed out our credit card. I had to send, like, an emergency email to some of our top tomorrow. I was like, help me max out our credit card, but it was great. Uh, because every night, these students who, a lot of them, I don't think they would classify themselves as political conservatives. They were there because they wanted to save lives. And they realized how important the, the, you know, the movement was and why we needed a Republican majority uh, in the Senate. But every night, I got to train them. It was great because I got them for two hours. I fed them Chick-fil-A or pizza for dinner, and then they had to sit and listen to a pro-life training. It was fantastic. But the first night, I asked them to raise their hand, and I said, how many of you have never done anything in the pro-life movement before? over half of the students there who gave up their New Year's Eve holiday and I'm too cheap to fly them. So they all had to take, we rented 15 passenger buses or vans from Dallas, Houston, Chicago, Philly, New York City. And so, these are like 15 hours. They drove in the snow on New Year's Eve to get to Atlanta to do four days of door knocking. I mean, that's a hard—that's like—in terms of like asking students to do something, knocking on doors. I mean, we don't like to call people on the phone in this generation, let alone like knocking on someone's door. Face-to-face contact. That's That's like the worst. So, I mean, that to me was pretty hopeful in that we had so many new kids show up and raise their hand. So I think we will see a resurgence of people going, I can't rely on the person sitting in the Oval Office to do this. I can't Mm. outsource my duty.
0: Mm. You also made a good point, and I said this to you the very first time I met you. I could not believe if, you know, I was to look out at the crowd in this generation, and I had to maybe stereotype them, right? I would say they were probably liberal on a lot of other issues. Uh Um, on cultural and political issues but you said they will cross the line mm-hmm. for this life mission why why would they cross the line for this because
1: they get it they understand
0: that abortion is a taking of an innocent
1: whole human being that's never existed before and will never exist again they value human beings I mean you think about this generation and their views on socialism it's it's scary just just a warning: If you ever look into any of the polling about how this generation polls on socialism, it's scary. But then when you ask them why, why are you for these terrible policies that have never worked? And you know it's always like, well, it hasn't been tried, right? It just hasn't been tried, right? But they're it's well intentioned. That they want to take care of their fellow man, and they value the life of their fellow man, and so they see all these injustices, and they want to step up, and they want to serve, and they want to make things better. Our challenge as conservatives, as political conservatives, is to say, wait, wait a minute. We actually care more, and our policies, while the left may say that they're cold-hearted or whatever, whatever the narrative of the left is that day, our policies actually work better. Our policies will lift families out of poverty, um, give people actual freedom and choice, you know. But we don't make that case, and as conservatives, we don't talk like that. We talk about like statistics and facts, and that's how I think. But that's not how they think. They think in terms of justice and fairness and that one person they met and their story that they told them, and we have to connect it that way. um, There was a great book written a few years ago by a professor, Jonathan Hyatt, called The Righteous Mind. And he talks about, he has this moral foundations theory, and it's about how political conservatives and progressives, how they just think differently, and how doesn't matter the culture, doesn't matter where you are in the world, this is always the same. They weight different uh, principles differently. And uh, that to me was, I think, when I read that book, it was a great light bulb moment because I realized I can't, just because I had an argument that would win me over on an issue, that's not the argument that's probably going to win over this generation. I have to speak their language. And that's what we try so hard to do at Students for Life, if we're speaking their language. I can give you stats and figures all day. Um, I can describe uh, an abortion to you in graphic detail. But then I can also tell you a story of a woman story of a friend who had an abortion regret and how abortion impacted her and I can
0: guarantee you that's what they're gonna remember. So the stories is there other ways that it, um, that are more effective in communicating. you're saying stories, making it personal
1: stories making it personal. I think anytime whether whatever policy it is, I think you have to talk in terms of justice and fairness of is this just? Um, they don't like, we just did this huge research project with, I call them the mushy middles, uh, the I don't like abortion but people, the folks who say, I probably wouldn't have one, but then they wouldn't tell their friend not to, or if their friend will ask them to drive them to an abortion facility, they'd say, well, it's my duty to be your friend. And those people drive me crazy because I'm like, wait a minute, you tell me you think abortion's wrong, but then you're okay with it. It's like someone saying child abuses are wrong, but if you want to abuse your child, like, I can't, I don't think like that. It's black or white to me. Either it's wrong for everybody or it's okay for everybody. Which one is it? And it was fascinating because we were doing these in-depth interviews with these women in in all these states across America. And we found out that they weren't finding themselves in the middle. We always thought that they found themselves in this awkward middle spot, but they actually were purposely choosing it. They viewed either pro-life Pro-choice or pro-abortion, is what I call them. They view that as extreme, and to them, extremism was the ultimate evil to avoid. Hmm. It was so fascinating that they found that that was so. They want so, middle ground. They want middle ground, and they think that that is the that is the moral high ground for them to be in the middle. And so, what we have to do, and we're having these conversations, is I talk about extremism a lot. I'll say you know, whatever, um, you know, because in every campus I'm talking to, whether it's Harvard, I remember the first time I went to like Harvard and I was like panicked about like, (laughs) oh my gosh, these kids are going to ask me these really hard questions and I didn't go to an Ivy League school. It is the exact same questions except just with sometimes they use bigger words, right, <laughs> you know, from a community college. There's no difference. And every time I speak on any campus for a hostile environment, it's always like the same 10 questions. What are
0: what are some of them?
1: Well, um, what about a woman who has a child, and she's struggling to make ends meet, and she just lost her job because there's no federally mandated paid leave because conservatives are so evil, and um, you know she's forced to carry this fetus to term and has another mouth to feed. You're telling me that she should starve or her children should starve, right? Hear that?
0: all the time okay give an answer let's hear i'm sure here's one quick thing i think you can
1: answer i just ask them to think about i hear what you're saying but do you think there's anything less extreme that we can do for her beyond offering to end the life of a unique whole living human being don't you think that's a little extreme to say here's a woman who's in poverty she probably you know. She's had a broken relationship. She's probably not, you know, in a relationship with a church or with her family. She feels all alone. And you think that ending a life of a baby is going to solve her problems. Is it going to take her out of poverty? Is it going to suddenly make her son or daughter go to bed with food in their tummies? It's not going to do that. And in fact, if you actually want to talk about, you know, brass tacks, wouldn't it be better to kill an older child than a baby? Because an older child is going to consume more resources. But why, why is that like terrible to think about or suggest? Because we all acknowledge the humanity of that five-year-old or the six-year-old that she may have. But don't you think there's something a little less extreme that we can recommend? And that's actually what gets—it's been working on campuses because they don't like extremism.
0: Interesting. I just learned that. So, so when goes. you're having a conversation— Bring it to the less extreme. Okay, here's one question I just thought of that I know gets asked all the time. I actually just got asked this question, and I wasn't even talking about a life <laughs> podcast or something. Somebody asked and uh, sent me this message on social media. Um, she was trying to explain to her little girl about pro-life mm-hmm. and why some women would choose an abortion because the daughter was asking what abortion is. Mm-hmm. And But what if the girl is raped? Mm -hmm. I know that is one of the number one questions on college campuses. Mm -hmm. How do you answer it?
1: Well, I think, especially when you get asked that question, often with it's in a hostile situation, the first thing is you have to express your care and your concern for the woman who survived sexual assault. It's the John Maxwell adage of people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And so I think we first need to address the horror of sexual assault. So I always start by saying, I can think of nothing worse apart from a brutal death that I would want to be done to my daughter or to a friend of mine. And we should all stand against sexual assault. And I think we should all be willing as a society, and I think we are, to do everything there is possible to help her survive that assault because we know it's not going to be a quick fix. It's not instant go to one counseling session and she's cured from the trauma of that but I don't think that we should be forced as a society to end the life of a human being because of that. I'm willing to do whatever it is that I can do for her, and I will go all the way up to that line, which is taking another human life for her. I can't, I can't be a part of that, and I can't recommend that. Um, and then you can go into you know, the, the humanity of the child, that your circumstance of your conception does not change your value Um, And no matter, you know, if my father would go out and commit an act of terrorism or mass murder or something today, nobody in their, well, unless they're on Twitter, but (laughs) unless it's on Twitter, but nobody in the legal system would recommend that punishment for my father's crime would be that I would be put to death. No one would say that. Um, But it's different with abortion because you can't see the child uh, and the child is residing, living within the mother. And yes, that is a sacrifice a noble sacrifice that we are actually asking her to make um and is it fair that motherhood has been forced upon we don't i don't we don't think in the pro-life movement motherhood should be forced upon you um but that's what was taken away from her that option to become a mother was taken away from her and now the fact is she is a mother so i think it's i try to dial it back when we have those conversations but i think you always we always first express concern and regret for the sexual assault that's been taken that's taken place Um, but then i think we just need to be very honest of saying i can't i cannot be asked to kill another human being that would actually be inconsistent with my beliefs if i said no you shouldn't be able to have an abortion but you should because simply because of the circumstance of conception for the child
0: Yeah. And I know you get tough questions all the time. And that's what I'm thankful for for students for life. You're preparing those kids to answer those tough questions and you're not afraid to ask them. And um, But going back, because I got off topic, because I was just curious of what some of your answers, because I know people Mm -hmm. listening want to know, what do you say in these situations? But of course, with the new administration coming out of the gate, just aggressively, mm. you know, promoting abortion. It's not that they're just pro They are promoting it. They're aggressive. Mm. The appointment of the HHS secretary, mm-hmm. which I believe y'all are pretty vocal about yes. in that, and you can share a little bit with that, but with a track record of attacking the pro-life movement, how um, maybe have you at Students for Life adjusted your strategy and advocating for the unborn?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's definite legal challenges that all national pro-life groups will be facing. We were talking about that earlier of... Um, There's in the weeds legal things that we'll have to do to protect ourselves from this administration. Um, I fully expect there'll be investigations, IRS audits, things like that, that come down to just be a burden and slow down operations and suck up, you know, time, valuable time. And resources. Yeah, and resources. Um, For us, we we continue forward. So, I mean, our day-to-day of organizing on campuses, of organizing communities, running digital ad campaigns to change hearts and minds. That doesn't get affected by this administration. We will see, you know, effects linger and continue to kind of trickle down. We started to see, in the lead up to the election, a, a dramatic increase in cyberbullying uh, on Instagram and Facebook and email.
0: With what, to some of your pro-life students? Mm,
1: especially our high school students. Mm. Um, I actually had a staffer yesterday who received, you know, people saying, you should just kill yourself. They thought they were texting a, a child, uh, not a 26-year-old adult, but— um, so, I mean, I think we'll see a definite increase in that. Um, we will see, um, I will keep our friends at the Alliance Defending Freedom very, uh-huh. very busy this year. They're, they're busy with everybody. <laughs> yes, today. yes. They have a whole life division, campus life division because of us. Um, we keep them very busy. And I think we'll see. I actually had to hire one of their allied attorneys as our general counsel because we have so many incoming legal cases to deal with right now. Um, and so we will see what we saw in Canada. We have a number of groups we work with in Canada. A sister organization where our former student leaders leads a... Students for Life esque uh, ministry up there, and they don't have freedom of speech in Canada. And so we've been monitoring that very closely because what happens in Canada will trickle down to here. I mean, like on the campuses there, you know, having fetal development models, little models of a child, preborn child is, you know, not allowed. They're not allowed to have ultrasound pictures on their tables on campuses because those are triggering. So we're going to start to see uh, those types of assaults of freedom of speech more and more.
0: Um. You're talking, you know, your students that what I've seen, they're so brave. They're awesome. And they're fearless. And I love mm-hmm. watching them from all over the country. Um, share with us, because I know we just got a little bit left time, maybe a success story mm. or a story that you keep in the, you know, maybe a lot of people don't know, but it keeps you motivated mm-hmm. that's come out of Students for Life. Yeah,
1: I mean, there, we have so many. We have, you know, young women who've worked. Who we worked with as a student, who had challenges that that then come on and work now full time with students for life, and so they've really taken um, the challenges they faced as students and the knowledge they gained and. Uh, the courageousness they had to build within themselves, and now have just exported it out to thousands. And I, I get so excited to—I I like to build things. Uh, so to me, that gets me excited to see. Oh, the one student who I met when she was fourteen, who's now twenty-five, and I'm totally aging myself, but who now goes out and speaks to hundreds and thousands every year, and you know, really lives out what our like, you know, our little logo is, which is candle lighting another candle. Um, you know, I've gotten to meet over the years a few. For the babies? that have been saved um, and our work is so you know because we're having conversations we're equipping students but they're the ones who are living it out you know our staff is there with them on campus holding their hand mentoring them through it but most of the time I'm in my office or I'm in meetings raising money to, to support that staff um, so I'm not out there on the campuses they, they tote me out to do the controversial speeches which gets you know media attention and gets the <laughs> pro boards on campus riled up and get, gets the conversation going which is very all the darts thrown at you. Yeah, I mean that's that's important work. Uh, to people tend not to like it, but it's important work because often, you know, we all know um, evil thrives in darkness, and so as long as they can just keep you know the campus from talking about abortion, it can continue to thrive. And so when you bring on a controversial speaker, and you make the uh, those who advocate for abortion have to come out. It, it it really starts to change minds, and it's been interesting to see. I've I've met kids who um, have come to my event, and it's so funny because I think about what we do so much as planting seeds, um, because you know we uh, you know when I say something to somebody and they're looking and staring at me like I'm the devil. I know I'm probably not going to change their mind, uh, but you know. I, I know I can plant a seed, and we've met those kids along the years, you know, who've come, and I've I got to be the chance to be the water, you know, of a kid who had parents trying to convince them to be pro life, and they'll come up to me after a speech and they'll say, "That one thing you said, that's it. I, I have to be pro life now." And I'm like, "Well, it probably wasn't the one thing I said. It was probably just the one last thing you needed to hear." But somebody else has been speaking into you for a number of years.
0: Yeah, and that's what I mean. You are, and as you said earlier, your heart is to change the heart of this generation and to change the culture because it's not just to be illegal but to unthinkable. And that when you are you got students that are um, down there that are really advocating on a day-to-day basis and having those conversations with a friend at a lunch table. But Mm -hmm. before we close, this is one thing that I've always appreciated about you is that you're always looking into the future. Hmm. And we always want to overturn Roe versus Wade. But I don't think we think past what that looks like of Roe versus Wade. I
1: know. And
0: for those who are listening, you know, we got to prepare the churches. We have to prepare this. But you have an army of students all around the country, and I love that. What do you do once if Roe versus Wade is overturned one day
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and it gets thrown back down to the states? What Mm -hmm. does that look like?
1: Yeah, I think it's actually like a fear tactic that the other side uses. And I've heard a lot of Christians over the years who sort of justify their non their lack of action in the pro-life movement as this fear of like, well, I don't want women to be forced to go to back alley abortions. And I hate abortion just as much as you do, but I just don't want women to be forced to make that decision. And so they they've, I think those who advocate for abortion have used the
0: reversal of Roe as that, that fear tactic. Which, keep- by the way, when Roe versus Wade became law— that was such a, there was no statistics yes. about Back Alley yes. back then. Yeah, and, so. that, and that's
1: actually how I started the conversation. I say, well, one, um, reversing Roe versus Wade does not make abortion illegal on all land. I wish it were so because I could get ready to pack up shop here pretty soon. Uh, that's not going to be the case. Reversing Roe puts the decision back to states, which, by the way, polling suggests and proves that a vast majority of young people want a voice and a vote for life in their states, and they feel like that's fair. Um, so reversing Roe does not make abortion illegal on all of the land states will have the option to make abortion legal. In some states, will. there'll be about 10 states that immediately move to make abortion legal. There'll be states like California, Illinois, you know, Massachusetts, that become these abortion havens of late-term abortion and allow late-term abortion, and you know, um, and then there'll be the other states where we fight state by state to make abortion illegal, and then we'll eventually move to a constitutional amendment. That's our strategy, there you go, in a nutshell. But I think it's also important to think about there wasn't this back-alley abortion myth, and that it is just a myth. There weren't back alley abortions. Were there abortionists who killed women? Yep. Just like how there are abortionists who kill women today. And um, there wasn't like this like January, in January 20th, uh, 1973 to January 22nd, there wasn't like this mass training of abortionists across the country. Just people who were committing abortions before Roe versus Wade, after Roe versus Wade, were able to advertise the fact that they were committing abortions. And Planned Parenthood's own medical director in 1958 testified uh, and said at a medical conference publicly that over 90% of abortions at the time, 1958, were being committed by physicians in good standing with their communities and declared abortion a safe procedure. Um, So there weren't these back alley abortions. We know those who want to fight to legalize abortion, Bernard Nathanson, Larry Ladder, the two men that founded NARAL pro-choice America. Bernard Nathanson was an abortionist in New York State. Larry Ladder was a biographer of Margaret Sanger, who was a eugenicist, who believed that there was an impending population bomb happening in the nineteen seventies, which is why he became a firm believer in abortion. Um, these men made up that myth, and Bernard Nathanson later in life became a Christian converted uh, to a pro-life advocate and had wrote openly about how they made up this myth that tens of thousands of women were dying from illegal abortions a year. Christopher Teets, Planned Parenthood's own Margaret Sanger, award-winning statistician in 1974, wrote, uh, you know, that it was most likely about 500 women were dying a year from illegal abortions before Roe versus Wade. And, And those were also legal abortions, legal and illegal abortions, because that, you know, my 73, about 18 states had legalized abortion. So there wasn't a myth about galley abortion. That's not something you have to be afraid of. And we need to be working towards that day. Uh, and that's what I was getting to earlier of that day is what are we doing in our communities? I actually believe we have the resources that we need to take care of women in crisis in our community to come alongside her and support her. Where I'm not as convinced is I don't think she knows, and I have statistics to prove she doesn't know those resources exist. And that's really, I think, our calling right now is we prepare for whatever the Supreme Court does. And then there's like 20 cases making their way up to the Supreme Court right now to challenge Roe. Whatever the Supreme Court does, we need to be ready
0: for that day. And that means we have to get ready in our communities and our churches. Well, Kristen, I have a lot more questions to ask you. So I'm going to have to get you back for a part two because I didn't get to half of them of what we wanted to. But I just want to say thank you. I've just been like a fierce advocate for you for the last year since I've met you. Because of your heart, I actually see it working and changing lives. You're changing the heart of culture to be unthinkable, that abortion could be unthinkable. And that's where we have to win it because you said the communication's being done on the other side. They're going after young girls and young children saying you can't have... You can't have a baby Mm. and have your dreams, which that would be the opposite of feminism. But yeah, it's the absolute opposite. But um, just so thankful. And I will let my followers and on this podcast know where they can follow you along. I encourage you to follow Students for Life and Kristen and help them along this fight. Um, It is a battle. And every day they wake up to go into battle. And um, I'm just proud of you and proud of Students for Life. Thank you. Thank you to Kristen for joining me on another episode. I want to encourage you all to follow Students for Life and Kristen on social media. And maybe you can also encourage your own high schooler or college student to start their own chapter of Students for Life on their campus, wherever they are. Or be praying about how you could sponsor students next year to go to the Students for Life Summit in DC. It is incredible. You would help these students, whether it's from your church, or from the schools that your kids go to, you would help them be bold leaders on this issue of life and be fearless leaders on college campuses. Thanks again for joining me on another episode, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture.